0: This is a Soulfire production. You're listening to the Simply Be Podcast, episode number 171. Well, hello and welcome back to the show, my beautiful friends. I am so excited, so excited for this episode. I've been counting down the minutes to this episode, in fact, but before we get into what we're going to talk about today with who we're going to talk about it with, I just want to say that this is the final episode of the month of April here on the podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome. I'm your host, Jessica Zweig. If you're not new to the show, then you know, each and every month here on the Simply Be podcast, we choose a different theme, a focus, an intention that we orient all of the episodes around. And this month, the month of April, has all been about coming home to yourself, And this was very much inspired by me getting away from myself, from not being at home with myself actually for such a significant period of time that I reached full-on physiological depletion, burnout, and depression and found myself in a really tough spot at the beginning of 2022. And so I took some time away. I retreated quite literally here in this beautiful home. I'm living in in Nashville in the middle of the woods. I took a couple months off of creating content. I was off of Instagram for about six weeks and really focused on my healing and had a pretty transformational journey. And I felt very, hmm, what's the word I'm looking for? Conflicted about coming on my platform and talking about what I had experienced so openly in relationship particularly to the treatment that I used to heal my depression, which is a medicine called ketamine, which is a psychedelic administered substance that allows you to heal on various levels, which we'll talk about in today's episode. But the reason why I felt conflicted about sharing this so openly on my platform was not because I have any embarrassment or shame around depression and my own mental health journey. I don't. Not because I know that there's a stigma around psychedelic medications and alternative therapies such as ketamine and MDMA and ayahuasca and bufo the toad and psilocybin. No, none of that. I I had no conflicts around talking about this issue or topic for those reasons, but because there are so many people that talk about it, that I feel are irresponsible in talking about it, that are not accredited, that are not experts, that are not in any shape or form to be an authority on such things that are so incredibly powerful and are not a one size fits all, that are a deeply personal journey and choice. That conversation and narrative around these alternative medicines should be in fact, led and guided by actual doctors, scientists, and experts. And I am obviously not a doctor or a scientist. I am a creative entrepreneur. And I felt very responsible to my community to talk about this openly in a conscious way that approached this narrative with real education and science. And I couldn't do that myself. I came on an episode 167, that episode is where I go into all of this in detail, my own personal journey and healing and lessons I've learned from running a million miles a minute, growing a busy business. Yes. And how I was led to this treatment of ketamine and what I personally experienced, but I just see a lot of influencers and podcasters and people online talking about this stuff in a way that makes it feel like trendy. And I just don't want to be one of those people. And I really wanted an expert to come on and really have that conversation with you instead. And so I'm so blessed and grateful that my doctor, Dr. Donald Radin is here today to discuss all things, mental health, holistic wellness, yes, ketamine, but whether you're struggling with depression or you're just dealing with the day-to-day stresses of life, he has wisdom and advice for all of us today. And I feel so lucky that I get to work with him. He is now my doctor and he has really been an advocate, not just for this one moment of introducing me to ketamine and how that dramatically healed my depression, but the journey now of what we're really focusing on and how do I sustain a full holistic body that thrives as a busy creative entrepreneur that is never not going to deal with stress and overwhelm and anxiety to some degree. And how do I stay optimized in that? And we talk about that today too. So I'm really honored to bring him to my community. He is honestly by far one of the smartest people I've ever met. And on top of it, one of the most empathetic and compassionate doctors I've ever known. I have been on a journey with my health for a long time, not just my mental health, but my physical health. And I've always been drawn to holistic modalities. Western medicine just didn't work for me. And so when he came into my orbit and saw me as a whole person immediately, and we talk about that today, that in and of itself was medicinal and healing to find a doctor that comes from this true place of care. And so he is a board certified psychiatrist uh, specializing in a handful of, of specialties, including immune system, dysregulation, precision medicine, athletic performance, anti-aging, chronic illness, neurodegenerative diseases, environmental medicine, peptides, cellular health, and more. And he really approaches his work by blending traditional medicine with a comprehensive understanding of the whole functional body, functional medicine, and cellular biology. He has a progressive approach to health that is analytical, perceptive, kind, and all in service of you living your highest quality life. And I don't believe that we can show up for the world that we are here to reach and touch and serve in our most authentic light, in our truths, in our deepest service, unless we are healthy, unless we are mind, body, spirit, healthy and clear and optimized. And so his work speaks to my work and the work that I'm trying to impart into the world. And I know so many of you have big missions and want to make a difference and are here to leave an impact on our planet to enforce it with more love and light and service and we can't do that unless we are caring for ourselves on the deepest of levels and i have obviously learned that lesson the hard way a few times and i will learn it again because that's just the human experience we are spiritual beings here having a human experience and we come to planet earth i believe to learn it is school it is earth school and it is not meant to be easy but if we can ensure that we're treating our sweet, sensitive, fragile human bodies, flesh and bone with the utmost love and care. And in my view, progressive openness around what health is today, I believe we will achieve those missions. I believe it's that connected. And I believe that people like Dr. Donald Raiden are bringing us The future of wellness. And that is quite literally what the beautiful branded neon sign says on the first floor of his clinic is welcome to the future of wellness. And it has to do with everything in who we are being and how we are living and ultimately what we choose to do with those lives. So without further ado, here is my incredible conversation closing out the month of April on coming home to yourself with my doctor and one of the most brilliant doctors I've ever met, Dr. Donald Raiden. So I obviously know you as my doctor and our conversations every time I call you is all about me, help me with this issue. And yet I, I only know so much about you and I would love to hear where you started as a medical practitioner, you know, in psychiatry, in how it's advanced to this alternative, if you will, future of wellness, as you call it, and just your your journey of, of where you started to where you are now.
1: My story is a little bit unique in that it started off in an intercity hospital when I was working with very, very difficult intercity kids in an inpatient setting. And what I was finding is that the, the the objective goals were to stabilize the patients and to get them out of the hospital with really little insight into what we can offer them beyond just a pharmaceutical intervention. So these patients were being given tons and tons of pharmaceutical medications for their, call it mood disorders or schizophrenia. Or, and I was never satisfied with what they were being offered in regards to psychiatry. And what really opened my eyes to it is I started actually looking at the medical notes beyond just the pharmaceuticals that were being offered and identifying endless amounts of metabolic abnormalities in their labs from an objective lens that led me to believe there may be something more to psychiatry than just a deficiency in a pharmaceutical. So that's where I sort of started looking beyond the world of just traditional psychiatry symptom equates to pill, is there something below the neck that needs to be looked at in order to actually improve their physiology to resolve the psychiatric manifestation? So I was never a believer in the traditional model of psychiatry from the day I walked in it. And I think one of the reasons why I chose psychiatry is that in my personal opinion, it really hasn't evolved beyond the 1950s and 60s into the world of more advanced applications, objectification, and I felt it was necessary that I actually make an effort to try to change the field. So what I did is I actually got involved in an organization called the um, Anti-Aging Society, which was a functional medicine uh, platform to learn functional medicine But all of the applications were looked at through the medical lens. So if it was a medical condition, diabetes, hypercholesterolemia, uh, rheumatoid disease states, autoimmune diseases, hormonal imbalances, but there was no real emphasis on psychiatric disorders. So what I did is I sat and I, as I was actually, this is a true story, I would wake up in the morning at six in the morning, I would have to drive to the city. And I was learning this as I was driving and learning medicine from a very different direction, which was very foreign to me as far as how do we correct the body from a medical perspective? And I was trying to put the two dots together. Well, how does this apply to psychiatry? And I remember one of the colleagues that was giving a lecture was a very well-versed individual in infectious diseases. And there was a lecture he was presenting on infectious diseases and the manifestations in the psychiatric direction. And I remember him saying verbatim, there has never been a schizophrenic that did not have Lyme disease. And I'm like, what? What do you, what in the world is this guy saying?" So I actually took the information and I decided I was going to test most, if not all of my patients who presented with schizophrenia with Lyme, for Lyme disease. And it turned out that 95% of them actually had this which was a jaw-dropping jaw, drop, jaw dropping realization for me as a physician to say, wait a second here, this has never been looked at, at least from my perspective, I think we need to look deeper into this. So what I started learning was that many of my quote treatment-resistant cases actually had an infectious triggered event that led to their condition. And so I started doing testing initially, looking at the gut microbiome and systemic infections. And I was finding all these problems. The most interesting case I think I've ever seen was when I first started doing this 15 years ago, there was a little girl who came to my office. She was 12 years old and she was mute as of two years. She hadn't said a word and she had G-tube placed because she wasn't eating. She was on three antipsychotic medications at the age of 12 diagnosed with schizophrenia. And I said to myself, this is way beyond psychiatry. And I tested her and she actually had Lyme disease. And what I did within one month is I gave her antibiotics, because that's all I really knew at the time. and i within one month, she started talking. in two months she started eating again. In three months she was back to herself. And it was like, "Whoa, this is really impressive to observe." And that really struck home with me that I was onto something beyond that I envisioned to have sort of walked into what transition throughout the years is that a lot of cases were coming to me with a manifestation of psychiatric disorder, the disease that no one could ever treat. And I was getting lines and lines and lines of patients that were very complex, both psychologically, psychiatric, as well as physically. And I, truthfully, I was treating a lot of them for Lyme disease at the time. And no other doctor wanted to take them on because they were so complicated cases. So I not only had to take my psychiatric background and help them from a psychological model using antibiotics, et cetera, but also correcting all the other issues that were going on internally. So it was a very complicated population of patients that walked into my world. And it was very traumatic to see the the devastation, the years of loss they had had without anyone overseeing their psychiatric and medical care. And that's kind of where my journey began. It was a one-man band, it was just me, and I was on a venture to figure this out. And What I learned was that, well, if someone has an infectious process, it's not the answer to their problem, because infectious processes lead to an inflammatory condition internally, which impacts the immune system, which impacts the hormonal system, which impacts a lot of different avenues, and trying to connect the dots was a challenge for me. Like, how does an infection lead to hormonal imbalance? Where's the connection between all these intricacies? How do these systems relate to each other? And I was able to figure it out after about five, six years. And I think I did a pretty good job as best as I could to help very, very complex medical and psychiatric cases. And, you know, I'll be forever grateful that people were willing to take a risk with me because a lot of people had no answers. They'd gone to the Mayo Clinic. They'd gone to, you name it, you to Chicago. They'd gone all over the world, actually. And they had no answers other than here's your pharmaceutical, let's Band-Aid the symptom. And I was able to delve much deeper for them. And I was able to help many people. And I really think that I've been able to fine tune this application now where I'm not doing a million and one labs. I'm lasering in on what I know is necessary to evaluate. So it's a much more streamlined approach to treatment. And it brings me to the next point of what the gold standard of care is for psychiatry. It's unfortunate that I still see a lot of psychiatrists basing their decisions off of subjective stories. You have depression, therefore, let me spin the dial and let me give you the pill to address the symptom. But I feel the necessary oversight is more objectively driven, meaning we need to really come up with objective measures that can be used for standard of care to look beyond just the symptom that the patient walks in with. Very simple case, I had a little girl who was presenting with significant mood conditions. She was probably quasi-psychotic, but it only occurred 15 days of her menstrual cycle. She was also autistic, by the way, and she had been on multiple psychiatric medications and she was causing such devastation at home that the parents were literally coming in with scabs and bruises all over the body because she was beating them up in the second half of the cycle. Well, of course, she gets on pharmaceutical interventions for aggressive behavior, but I was thinking, let me take a step back. If this is only occurring 14 days of her menstrual cycle, is this just a hormonal imbalance? So by golly, I checked her on day 19 or 20 of her menstrual cycle and she had no progesterone. Well, my intervention was not Prozac. It was not Lexapro. It was not pharmaceuticals in the world of antipsychotics. It was giving her bioidentical progesterone in the second half of the menstrual cycle. And the parents come back to me a month later and says, this is a miracle. She's calmed down. I don't know what you did, but it's really wonderful you were able to offer this suggestion. Now, that was driven off of objective data. Labs were determining what her underlying issue was. The symptom was present, obviously, but what was the objective measurement that led to my medical intervention? The unfortunate thing in psychiatry, I go back to it, it's a subjective story. And a lot of times we don't know unless we actually go deeper and are willing to look to find answers to their problems. So I've been able to, over the years, fine tune my objective analysis. And a lot of times I I kind of can get an understanding from the symptom where to put the money when it comes to lab testing. And a lot of times I've been able to advance my abilities to help people up front so we can talk more about some of the more cutting-edge applications that can be used for symptom-based approaches, but they also have biochemical explanations as to why I'm proceeding in that direction. So a lot of the applications I can offer people up front are based off of their subjective story. For example, we can speak about you if you don't mind. Not at all. When I met you, I felt that there was a significant, I would say burnout, almost a sense of like I kind of lost myself in my successful world, and I don't know where to turn. When I heard that word burnout, I thought about cortisol and how cortisol affects the immune system. Now, the immune system can be suppressed from cortisol, and if the immune system is suppressed, it can drive pathogens that drive inflammation, and that inflammation, therefore, that's a domino effect. So you have the burnout, cortisol levels go up, shifts the immune system to a suboptimal position. That suboptimal position can cause abnormalities in the gut microbiome, can cause other things, but that drives inflammation throughout the body. So I knew the money lied in mitochondrial efficiency because when there's a world of inflammation, the cell is not utilizing substrates efficiently to make energy. And the application of ketamine, which we can speak about is all about how do we take precursors like tryptophan to make something called NAD, so that the cell works properly. But when there's an inflamed physiology, like I had mentioned, tryptophan does not convert to NAD in the de novo synthesis. It converts to quinolinic acid, which is a neurotoxic molecule. Ketamine is removing quinolinic acid from the story to allow tryptophan to convert to NAD very nicely, to allow the cell to work properly. And I felt that just by speaking to you, I thought the money lied there. And that's why I proceeded with something right up front to help you. And I hope I did my due diligence in offering you that application up front, because I felt in my mind, that's where the money lied without even objective labs at the time.
0: Yeah, it was one conversation.
1: That was the rationale between my thought process and having you speak to me about some of your story. But a lot of the world, I think, is struggling and suffering in the world of psychiatric conditions. And unfortunately, many providers are not stopping, taking a step back, listening to the story, thinking about how the biochemistry plays into that, either providing them a lab analysis to look beyond just the subjective story or using their, their, their mind to think about, is there something I can offer them up front that may give them relief from their symptoms as we're looking deeper into their story?
0: Yeah. I mean, I want to say this, you know, I was sitting right here in this room, actually when we had our first conversation and your empathy for me was probably among the most medicinal components of our conversation. You know, you are a founder of a business as well. You had said to me on that call, I know what it's like to put everyone else before yourself, to never slow down and celebrate and honor your success and how hard you've worked. And I I definitely want to talk about Ketamine and my diagnosis and 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 sort of how you approach my treatment, but I feel like a lot of people, especially post pandemic, are are just struggling with a lot of this similar feelings of burnout, of not feeling like they've ever really you know stopped and celebrated themselves. and I'm sure as as a doctor, you're seeing a huge uptick in mental health conditions. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, you're the expert, but what, you know, advice do you have to to someone listening who might be silently struggling or doesn't know where to turn? Um, I think acknowledging it is the first step like I did and, and actually having someone like my therapist say, you need to get help, which is how I found you. But let's just say someone doesn't have those resources. You know, what, what empathy and compassion and advice could you offer that person?
1: Well, I think it's important that we actually look at how powerful we are in today and what we can do to improve the world around us. And I think a lot of us are struggling with connectivity because of the pandemic and losing sight of what relationships can offer us. And not only relationships can offer us, but what we can do to help the world around us. How can we transform one's life in the moment to give them a sense of peace and purpose? And I think that if we could focus on what we can do in the moment to change someone else's life, a lot of our feelings improve. Because when you give to one, you get a lot more in return. And I think that I lost that sight for years, truthfully, because I was looking towards the future and what I thought my life was going to be, which it never was. So I was living in a future tense that didn't allow me to be present to the moment. And I lost myself throughout the process. What I lost was that sense of what can I offer the world rather than what am I deserving of or what am I expecting for the future to be? The truth is, and COVID is really locked at home for me, we only have this moment in time and life is very fragile. What can I do today to make myself a better person, to change someone else's life? Because if we can allow ourselves to connect with others, a lot of our emotional turmoil improves because we're giving to the world and we're not focusing so much on ourselves.
0: And I think unfortunately
1: during COVID, we had a lot of empty space to really focus on ourselves rather than what we can do to change the world. I'm a perfect example. When I was sitting at home and I didn't have a lot going on because there was such quiet sound around me, I got wrapped up in my story and why I wasn't satisfied with future tense. Why am I good enough at this? Or why am I not getting this amount of money that I'm deserving as? Or Why is the world so destroyed around me? Rather than what can I do to change the world around me today in this moment? And I think a lot of us, unfortunately, lose sight of what we can offer in this moment versus living three years ahead of us Mm. and feeling like we're deserving of things. And the truth is, we're not deserving of anything. We just need to be present to the moment and allow ourselves to be and we may find peace in that. So I think to answer your question, when it comes to people that are struggling emotionally, they have to ask the question number one, am I really present to the moment and what can I do to help myself in this very moment? Just physical activity alone is a step towards process and progress, I should say. Getting off the couch, moving your body, talking to people and listening versus just speaking seeing what you can do to help other people and trying your best, even though you may be in pain, forcing yourself to make a change for someone else and see if it resonates internally. And I think that that allows us to be free from our struggles that we have on an unconscious level. So that's sort of my motto recently. What I do every morning is I actually have a little card and I put it by my, where I shave and it has my intentions for the day. Well, rather than we live our lives and just wing it, a business would never do that. Imagine life is like a business, right? You set intentions for the day. You have a sheet, you have spreadsheets. You actually have a, a plan of attack. My intentions change all the time. Be a good person, be kind, be a good father. Take care of others. Listen rather than speak. I have it sitting on a note card every morning and it gives me a purpose and a reason to be present to my life. Rather than winging my life, let's treat our lives like a business would. And the nice thing is you can change those intentions at any time you choose. It allows us to be present to our lives rather than just being passively living. And I felt it was very powerful for me as a person to be able to have these actual intentions as if my life is a business. And I think a lot of us lose sight of that. We look back months later and go, what the fuck just happened? Why am I so in pain? Because we weren't really showing integrity. We weren't authentic in our everyday life.
0: Yeah. Well, that way of being not necessarily inauthentic because I I consider myself to be be that always to the best of my ability, but definitely not present. Definitely looking at my life future proofing or projecting, I should say months, years out, winging it to use your language. And I found myself talking to you because it wasn't sustainable. And you, you know, I remember getting on the zoom with you and you were like, okay, so tell me your story. And I talked to you for 15 minutes, bawled my eyes out. just gave it all to you. And you And I was like, and I think I need medication. I think I need to go on drugs. And will you please prescribe me something? And you were like, Jessica, I don't think you need medication. I think we need to look at your sleep, which we're still working on. We need to look at your hormones. We need to look at your gut. And instead of medication, I, I really am going to strongly suggest that you consider doing ketamine. And I had heard of ketamine. I've actually been around people who've done ketamine recreationally. And that sort of, a lot of people's perception around it. And so I got off that call with you. I did a whole big deep dive for like a whole weekend. I must've listened to 10 podcasts and went on DuckDuckGo because I wasn't going to go to Google to study ketamine. And I I meditated on it. I talked to my husband about it. And I was like, I'm going, I, I'm going to do this. And i based in Nashville currently and decided to to follow your protocol to clear two weeks of my life, to do six sessions in a row, three times a week to work with your incredible therapist, Layla. And, um, it was transformational. And so I would like, and my audience has heard my story, but I would really like to hear it from you. You know, one, why did you diagnose me with, or why did you recommend ketamine for me? Why would you, why do you believe in it? It practice it, administer it in your clinic and sort of what are you seeing around the space of mental health and its relationship to ketamine at large?
1: Yeah, sure. So what's unique about ketamine is that there was an original belief, if we go back to the early research in the 60s and 70s, it was a neurotransmitter abnormality, a serotonin deficiency, for example, or a dopaminergic issue, which is a dopamine deficiency. And by giving someone a pill... Blocking the reuptake of a neurotransmitter, for example, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor in the form of Prozac or Lexapro, would improve someone's psychological state. And from my clinical experience, it was a shot in the dark with those pharmaceuticals. And my belief system was always a little bit different than the pharmaceuticals belief system in that I was a firm believer that there was something more to the story when it comes to depression. In a simple term, I always was focusing more on the word inflammation. And I never could really understand how inflammation can correlate with psychiatric conditions until about three to four years of research, really understanding how inflammation affects the brain. And what we learned was that when you have inflammation in your body, there are certain pathways that are getting interrupted that affect ultimately the production of a molecule that improves what's called neuroplasticity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what neuroplasticity basically means is that two neurons communicate effectively, send signals appropriately to each other, so that we have better conversations between one brain cell and another. And it's all messed up by inflammation in real simple terms. The beauty of ketamine is that it follows my philosophy about inflammation because one of those byproducts of inflammation is neurotoxic to your brain. And ketamine gets rid of it very quickly, almost immediately. Which then allows us to produce optimal BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, that big word, that allows two cells in the brain to work properly and communicate. And the research has shown, after you know, delving into the research, this is what depression really is. It wasn't really a neurotransmitter deficiency. It was the inability of one brain cell to connect with another. And that's how I started looking at ketamine in great detail and really understanding it. And what I've been able to do since that time has been able to map out how ketamine affects not only BDNF that I mentioned to you, but also the efficiency of the cell. So there's two things going on. One is how do we reduce the inflammation? If we reduce the inflammation, how does that improve BDNF, which is that brain derived neurotrophic factor? And how does the efficiency of the cell play into this whole story? It's very complicated biochemistry, but I was able to map out personally how this all connects. And if you look at the research, what's very interesting is that they took a group of patients that were acutely suicidal and they drew their blood. And they found that they had significantly elevated markers of inflammation in their system. It's fascinating. Well, there's a reason why, because the cell is no longer working properly to produce ATP and the cell works beautifully. It was producing another thing called inflammation, and that affects the whole cascade of events that I just mentioned to you as well. So it's a very interesting application that personally, I have seen patients of mine, come back from suicidal events. Truthfully, I had a little girl, she was 17 years old, not little, but she was 17. Her mother called me and said, my daughter is actively suicidal. I'm taking her to the hospital. And I said, don't do that. Why don't you come and get a ketamine infusion? And she was reluctant, but she knows me well enough and she trusted me as a physician to proceed. And I got an email that night saying, Dr. Aiden, I don't know what you did, but my daughter is 70% better. Thank you. And the beauty is that it works very quickly for those that are struggling and suffering. And the chemistry is so apparent to me as a wonderful alternative to the traditional psychiatric pharmaceuticals. And I believe that this is the breakthrough in psychiatry And it resonates with me because I've been able to understand the biochemistry behind that. Yeah. And the beauty is it's also being used now. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's research now on Alzheimer's patients with ketamine.
0: No, I did not.
1: Think about it. When two neurons work more effectively, BDNF production, they're improving cognition. So ketamine is actually being looked at now for other neurological disease states, When I speak about ketamine, we have to think about, it's not just for those that are struggling with depression, it's also being used for patients with trauma. So we had a patient who had a very, very traumatic past experience, and she was able to redefine that trauma event in a very positive framework. And she was able to go live her life again with not even being able to do anything because she just focused on the trauma all day long. So it has wonderful interventions for, number one, depression, two, trauma, but three, also for pain syndrome. So there are many of my patients that not only struggle with depression and anxiety, maybe some trauma, but they have chronic pain syndromes. And if you were to ask someone during a ketamine infusion, well, when you start the infusion and your pain is at a 10, where is it right now after 20 minutes? I don't know if anybody has ever said their pain is above a two. So think about what that can offer somebody as a sense of power and purpose and they feel relief. And once they feel relief, they're actually more motivated to pursue other avenues of interventions and objectifying their condition because they have a, a symptom relief state, which is nice to see. So I think that just to summarize, I think ketamine has wonderful biochemistry to back its application. We have to think about it from a different direction and maybe take that neurotransmitter philosophy off the table from the 60s and think about how do we regenerate two nerves connecting and how do we improve the the communication between two brain cells? And I think that it has wonderful applications beyond just depression, trauma. I think it's something that if you were to ask me, I think it's the most powerful therapeutic intervention one could ever offer themselves which we could speak about if you're interested for those that may not even be struggling with depression, pain, could it be an application to advance their therapeutic interventions?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that you sums it up so beautifully because it's exactly how, I mean, similar, not exactly to how I've been translating it to people that it is in a mental healing. Cause when I came to Chicago at the top of March on a scale of one to 10 depression, I was at a 10 And after two weeks, I was at a one. I did not feel depressed at all anymore. On an emotional capacity, of course, we all have some degree of trauma. I had childhood trauma. You go back in on an emotional level. You you rewrite narratives around those, those moments in your life and have profound quantum leaps around healing those stories. And then on a physical level, and this is a question I have for you, I as an entrepreneur and just me <laughs> operate in a lot of anxiety like fight or flight like my body I feel anxiety in my body not necessarily even in my mind and I felt zero anxiety like it took away all physical anxiety for for weeks and I obviously business is still business and life is still life but I'm I'm able to come back to a different baseline than I ever could before but there was a real physical healing and embodiment of neutrality and peace that I felt on a physical level that I had never felt in my life. And so what kind of happens there? Like, how does that, how is that achieved in the body?
1: Well, I think that if you ask yourself the question, how does ketamine improve physical pain, I guess is the word. Yeah. Goes back to inflammation once again. So when you are in a state of pain, think about what that does from a domino perspective. Cortisol levels go up. Cortisol is actually neurotoxic to your brain. So your brain has this area, it's called the hippocampus, it's emotional memory. And they've done studies on patients with trauma, for example, very high levels of cortisol, and there was atrophy of the hippocampus. Well, think about if there's atrophy in the brain there's immune cells in your brain that get activated. They're called microglial cells. And those get activated and they're driving inflammation that do not allow the neurons to connect properly. So if you can improve the immune system and down-regulate the inflammation in the form of ketamine, because ketamine is going to correct that issue as well, you have a lot of power in that process. It's all about the perception of pain and the immune system plays into this as well. And by improving that BDNF and improving synaptic plasticity, you are not perceiving the pain the way you did prior. So I hope that made sense to you what I'm saying, but that's what's going on on a biochemical level.
0: It does. And just to kind of give my audience a little bit more insight into what we're currently working on, because when I told you that dramatic, decrease in my physical, emotional, and mental symptoms. You had said that was a clear sign of inflammation in your body prior to the ketamine treatment. And so now I'm on a peptide called alpha thymocin. And by the way, I love giving myself a shot every morning. I look forward to those little needles. I'm a true, I'm a true biohacker. Now I give myself a little shot every single morning in my belly of this, of this um, peptide. I want you to explain it. And I know that we're working towards getting those, um, free radical cells down and the inflammation down so that we can incorporate NAD in the next few weeks so that we're carrying forward the healing on that physical level. You know, I'm super down to come back and do another ketamine infusion if, if, and when, but what I love about your approach is that it is truly healing the whole body. It is holistic. It is not a quick fix, even though ketamine is a really quick way to alleviate symptoms. And so Can you kind of talk about about that protocol and and what that peptide's about?
1: i just to explain it as simply as I can. So the first thing we have to think about is when someone has lived a stressful life, how does that affect their immune system? So a high cortisol level leads to a suppressed immune state. And why is that important for you as a human being? Because our immune system kills things in the body that shouldn't be there, like precancerous cells, for example. So. It also kills off organisms that could reactivate. And a lot of my patients actually have reactivated infections from stress chemistry. So if your cortisol level is high, it's like a a seesaw. The immune system gets suppressed. You can get reactivated viruses, which drive inflammation that lead to depression and anxiety, you name it. Okay, makes sense so far? Totally. Great. What alpha-thymocin does is it pushes your immune system into a more optimal immune surveillance to ward off pathogens. So it's used as an antimicrobial, which is interesting. So now if you get stressed, like for example, you, you have to take a flight and you're traveling all the time and you're running around, a lot of people get colds or viruses. It's because their immune system is dampened from the stress chemistry. That's very important to know is general well-being and health. Alpha thymosin not only eradicates maybe organisms, but it's also been shown to reduce the proliferation and causes cell death of breast cancer cells, for example, and that's published research. So think about your immune system as a very important thing that can get rid of things that shouldn't be in the body like reactivated viruses, pre-mitotic cancer cells, et cetera. But in the world of NAD, how does it apply to psychiatric sort of the story? It goes like this. Remember we spoke about tryptophan converting to NAD We mentioned that, and then the byproduct in the world of inflammation is plenolinic acid. Ketamine gets taken off the table. Now you have NAD sitting there, right? But unfortunately, if you've had a very unhealthy sort of stress chemistry for years, the cell is not optimizing energy. It's building free radicals inside of the cell. And eventually the cell says, I can't tolerate this anymore. I'm going to transition into what's called the senescent cell. So if you go online and type in senescent cells in depression, you'll see research. Senescent cells in diabetes, you'll see research. Senescent cells in Alzheimer's, you'll see research. Well, it turns out the senescent cells suck up all of your NAD. So we need NAD for the cell to work properly in order to do all the things it needs to do for the brain. But if you have all these senescent cells sitting there and you're sucking up your NAD after ketamine, is there a way in which we can get rid of senescent cells? And it goes back to the immune system. Alpha-thymusin is what's called the senolytic. It gets rid of senescent cells. So now the drain is blocked and you can build up your NAD naturally. NAD is necessary for the whole cascade of BDNF. So the sequence goes like this. Tryptophan converts to NAD. But if you have a lot of inflammation and stress chemistry, you don't make the NAD. You make quinolink acid. Let's get rid of that with ketamine. Beautiful. Now you have NAD. But if you have a lot of unhealthy cells that are senescent cells, that's all going to get sucked up. So why don't we get rid of the senescent cells so that you can build your pools of NAD naturally. And that's what alpha thymus is doing. Yeah. I hope that makes sense to you. It's a lot of stuff I just threw at you. Know.
0: No, it does to me. I've also heard a little bit of it before, but you you broke it down beautifully. And I just, I think it's a huge nod to the, the approach that you have, you know, at, at Raiden Wellness Center and your holistic approach to diagnosing your patients. And I just feel so blessed. Like I wasn't necessarily supposed to talk to you first. I was supposed to talk to someone else. She was on maternity leave. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to go somewhere else because I'm never going to get in with him. And then you made time for me. And I just, I feel so cared for and on a a true path of, of full body health, mind, spirit, body, all of the emotional. And I'm just really grateful. And I've gotten a ton of questions about your clinic and I've been there, obviously I'm coming back soon. And it's just this beautiful world. Like you walk in on the ground floor, there's this cool sign that says, welcome to the future of wellness or something like that. Then you go upstairs and it's just like an operation. You have all these incredible staff members who are just so loving and caring, so warm and welcoming. And you do a lot. There's an IV center, there's nutrition, there's psychiatry, there's therapy. Can you explain your center? Cause you started in a hospital. You said you were kind of a one man band for a while, and now you have this incredible facility, world-class. And so take us inside of it.
1: Yeah, sure. So I also want to mention, which I think is very important is my wonderful partner, Mara, who's my wife. She left her career at the hospital to engage in my journey and she's a pharmacist, and she was able to take a lot of complicated cases because my patients required very intensive applications through IV. And having her experience in pharmacy work as a pharmacist, she was able to offer IV therapies. So we have the combination of the two, which is the wellness center, which is what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, but we also have the IV center, which allows people to do very robust applications as IV therapies, which is wonderful as an adjunct to what we're doing here in the wellness component. When you come into our practice, what I feel is most important is that we don't feel like a a, a doctor's office. I intentionally wear t-shirts and I don't look like the traditional doctor, I would hope, in the sense that I'm wearing a coat and there's a hierarchy. I feel like a lot of times when I would go into a doctor's office at a young age, I'd always feel like there was something like, I'm looking up at the doctor, he's looking down at me, and there isn't a dialogue, and I feel that that's not optimal health, and I want to make this equal. There's nothing special about me other than my education, and having that dialogue and the conversation. So the feel of the business is a little bit different, as you mentioned. Yeah. So- intentionally done because I didn't want it to feel like a sterile doctor's environment. What the practice is to able to offer patients is an opportunity to engage in cutting edge therapies from both the doctor's perspective, but then not only using those ideas and theories, but actually applying them with IV interventions if necessary, which really allow us to do a full service approach to someone's care. Because I think that the IV therapies are underutilized in conventional medicine. And I think that that has to do with the fact that people don't have the wherewithal or desire to pursue those avenues. And particularly with my wife, who's able to really run a wonderful center in the IV facility. It's a great complement to what I'm able to do in my office.
0: Yeah. And you offer so many different IVs to help with immunity, with Metabolism, you offer NAD, you obviously offer ketamine, and it's just, it's super comprehensive, the approach.
1: I think the difference between our IV center and other IV centers around the area is that we personalize the therapies based off of objectivity. So if someone comes into our office, we can personalize the IVs for their body physiologically versus just going into a center and saying, I want, quote, an immune cocktail. Well, what nutrients are you actually deficient in? And we have a pharmacist on staff that compounds it in a hood right next to the IV, so it's prepared for the patient as they come in the office. So what I like about it is the personal applications that can be utilized for those individuals, so that we're not cookie-cuttering an application, and it's really personalized to the patient.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, you can feel it. I mean, your whole, the whole experience, everyone I worked with from Marlon to your nurses, to, to Layla, to your wife, it, it has a very family feel. And I really, really appreciated it because I mean, we've talked, I've been on my own journey with my physical health, with my sinus infections. And I like to say that Western medicine, traditional Western medicine failed me at the most epic level. And I had to turn to holistic modalities and functional medicine and the internet to figure out what was really wrong with me and getting the chance to work with you and and really understand, you know, all of these new applications around NAD and, you know, tryptophan. And I'm, I'm genuinely saying, I like, love my peptide. I feel great taking it. And I can't wait to get that NAD is the next step, but you've really um, been such a teacher as, as, you know, as much as you've been a doctor. And I really, like I said earlier, when we were talking before the episode started, I, I feel very responsible to my community and, you know, I teach them a lot. I bring on a lot of different experts. I share my own journey. And I think that the world of alternative psychedelic medication, you know, through the power of ayahuasca and and psilocybin and MDMA and ketamine is like a trendy conversation right now. And I, and I'm here for it. And I'm proud to use my platform to bring light to these alternatives that really work, but I also don't want to do it. Didn't want to do it in a way that felt like, you know, myopic to my own experience, because it's not a one size fits all. And I see a lot of people in the space with microphones, proverbially speaking, and literally talking about this stuff in a way that doesn't feel that responsible, that feels more one-sided and, and personal. And so I just really want to thank you for coming on and really offering up your actual expertise and, you know, compassion more than anything. Cause that was really, like I said, the the thing I, I didn't even know I needed that you personally gave me as a doctor that um is super rare and you know has led has led us here really. So thank you very much. It's
1: very kind words. And I really appreciate the feedback. It means a lot.
0: It's the truth. So Dr. Raiden, I'm going to ask you one last question and uh, ask my guests this question at the end of every, every episode, there's no wrong answers. So I would love to know my brand is obviously simply be my company. It means a lot to me, but I think those two words carry their own weight. It can mean a lot of things. So I would love to know what those two words simply be mean to you.
1: Well, I think simply be means to me, number one is to be present to the moment and just to be, not to be in the past, not to be in the future, to be present to what we have available in this, this specific moment. But simply be means more than that to me. It means to be respectful to yourself as a human being and be proud of what you are as a human being and learning to love yourself simply being you allows us to be at peace. For our goods and our bads, it's learning to love ourselves unconditionally. And when we're feeling pain, it's okay to feel pain. And it's okay to be struggling at times. And those are all natural reactions to difficult times in our lives and not to be critical and judgmental of who we are as a human being, but to learn learn to love ourselves and simply be us. Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Where can people? I know a lot of people are going to want to know where they can learn more about Raiden, learn more about you. Do you want to just shout out your website, your social media? Is there anywhere specific you want to send people?
1: Yeah. So you can check out our website. It's Raidenwellness.com. And if something is resonating with you and you want to pursue any applications that we've spoken about, you can always call the office at 847 235 2139. And I'll be more than happy to talk to you, to get to know you, free consultation. I like to get to know my patients as family members to see if it's a good fit for both me and for you. And we can pursue anything you want to do. So I'll be more than open to those opportunities to get to know the community. My job is to help people as best I can. I've spent years and years and years and years researching and researching and researching. And if I can't give my research to the world, it is meaningless. So the more people that are willing to partake in what i can offer them the better the world can be in my personal opinion and i feel that there's a lot of work that can be done for others that feel that they are lost or trapped when there is a solution and there's there's a hope for them moving forward
0: you certainly gave me so much hope and changed changed everything so thank you for that. And thank you for coming on my show today. It was such a, such a gift to speak to you. And I cannot wait to share this one with my, with my community.
1: Okay. Have a great day. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate
0: it. I appreciate you.